We're continuing our series through the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Let me share with you guys uh, why or how I came to do this series. About seven, eight months ago, when I was planning kind of for sermon series for the fall, um, I knew that we were going to study the book of Acts for about a year. Anybody excited about that? Yeah, great, great, great. Yep, yep. We're, we're literally going to just go through the entire book, okay? Go through the entire, I'm thinking it'll take about a year. It may take a little more. I don't know, but what, no, knowing me, right? So we'll, we'll study the book of Acts. And the reason why is because we're at a very critical period in the life of our church where God is doing amazing things. God is bringing people who are excited about Jesus, who are excited about advancing his kingdom, and we're excited about planting more churches, um, And we're excited about doing all these things, and I wanted us to go back to a biblical basis of why we do what we do, to get excited about what God is doing amongst us, but go back to scriptures, go back to God's word. So I was really excited about that. I know I was going to preach that. But then as I started preparing, I started feeling this inner disconnect and inner angst. And this disconnect, inner angst, I shared a little bit last Sunday, was the, the words of Jesus just kept resonating in my brain and my mind. This is like seven, eight months ago, which is, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. And as I was really honest, as I looked at my life, I thought, you know what? I, it's not me. I can't describe my Christian life and my walk as life that's full. Anybody relate? So I was sitting there going, okay, something is amiss, something is wrong, what do I do about this? And then as I prayed and I went on my sabbatical, God sort of allowed the scales to fall off from my eyes and this is what I heard from God. And I didn't hear an audible voice, just sense the Holy Spirit saying, Do you love the mission of Jesus more than you love Jesus? Do you love what you're doing for me more than you love me? And I'll tell you what, one of the things I'm blessed with or cursed with, depending how you look at it, is I just can't like shake things off like that, you know? I'm not one of those people that just goes, okay, well, I'll just kind of compartmentalize that, put it right over there, and I'll deal with it. No, it was, it was like consuming me because the question that kept resonating and kept coming to me was Jesus saying, do you passionately love me still? Are you madly in love with me Still? Do you get excited about talking about me still? Does your heart and your passion for me still, does it it still excite you? The name of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And I had to come to a conclusion that no, I don't. And to be honest with you, even today as I stand before you, I don't. Now, if you think that's like whack for a pastor and you need to go find another church, please do so. But this pastor standing in front of you today saying to you, I do not love Jesus. And that bothers me. That bothers me. It bothers me that when I think about him, my heart is cold. My heart is hard. 
It bothers me that I would rather spend time doing the works of Jesus, stuff for him, and replace that as somehow being an authentic relationship with Jesus when deep down in my heart I know that I am not where I need to be with Jesus. Now, I know that I'm speaking to like maybe five people in this room who could relate to that this morning. But for the rest of us who can't, I want to ask you a question and I'll come back to you. Do you love him? Do you love him? That's why I'm preaching the prodigal son of the uh, story of the prodigal son because so as I thought about it, look, guys, so those of you sitting there going, five of you, five of you, they could relate, sitting there going, so what do I do about this? How do I, you know, I've been like this for weeks, months, some of us, years. What do I do about this? Do I do? And you have this big question mark. The Bible is very clear. You ready? The Bible says that our hearts somehow have to go back to embracing and our hearts being electrified, our hearts being melted, whatever word you want to use, by the gospel of Jesus. By the centrality of the gospel of Jesus, by the cross. Because when you and I look at the cross and our response is, oh. When we sing these songs and our response is, nah, I've been there, done that. When that's our response, you cannot, you cannot just go same old, same old. If you are a Christian, you stop dead in your tracks and you say something is wrong. And we need to go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a secret formula. It's not a magic one, two, three, four steps you do. Literally, it's going back to the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ and what he has done for and in us and having our hearts being melted by that. The good news of the gospel of Jesus And everything we do in our church is going back to that again and again. Can I just, look, can we just be honest? Isn't half of the stupid things that we do because we're insecure people? Anybody relate? Maybe 90% for some of us. 90% of we do. Stupid things we do, it's because we're so insecure. We are so desperately insecure. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has an answer for that. That is, you're not going to be secure by anything else unless the centrality of the cross and the gospel comes alive in your heart. That's why we're going back. And for anybody in here this morning that feels like I love the mission of Jesus more than I love Jesus, perhaps this journey will help you. For a handful of you guys that are in here this morning going, I love Jesus, I'm on fire for him, I love everything about it, I can't get enough of him, all this stuff, why I praise God for you. I praise God for you, and my heart's hope and desire is that through this sermon series, God would electrify your heart even more so that you would fall even deeply more in love with Jesus. By the way, I just struggled, you know, sharing some of this stuff, not because, you know, I'm admitting my weaknesses, but I feel like sometimes our church is a little too cool for our own good. I'm serious. Because you know what? I rarely hear, I rarely hear 
conversations where people just go, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love, because some of us, I think, like, we equate that with, like, religious or being church. You know what? I knew that something was amiss when I'm meeting with leaders, I'm meeting with people in our church, and I hear a lot about, I love working, I love the mission, I love ministry, and I'm going, where are people who are saying, I love Jesus with all my heart? I love Jesus with all my heart. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Luke 15. For those of you that are, again, Michael, will you just throw me that water, please? Those of you that are thinking, oh my gosh, this this story is so old, this story is so familiar, so on and so forth. Intentionally, I read all of the parable uh, story last Sunday. This Sunday, I'm actually not going to because I want to somehow present truth afresh anew to you, hopefully, and and, and certain things will, 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 will resonate with you like they haven't before. If you think you know the story, you do not know this story. As I mentioned last Sunday, the story is about the older son as much as it is maybe about the younger son. And so what we're doing is last Sunday, this Sunday, we're looking at the younger son, act one in this parable, and next Sunday and the Sunday after, we're gonna look at act two, the story of the older son. And if you are somebody that's saying, I don't love Jesus, I love the mission of Jesus, Jesus, you need to be here next two Sundays, okay? So, let's look at this parable. Verse 11, a little bit of review from last Sunday, and we'll continue. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Do you guys remember our brief review last week? In this time and culture, inheritance, if there were two sons in the family, were separated, delegated like this. Two-thirds to the older son, one-third to the younger son. Why is that important? You'll see next week. But the important critical part here is that the son asks the father for the inheritance while the father is still alive. And that in that cultural context was unheard of. Why? Because you, because inheritance was divided and you sold it when the father died. So essentially when the son says, father, give me my share of the estate, he was essentially saying, father, I wish you were dead. To which many of us who grew up in church listening to the story goes, yada, yada, I know, it was, you know. But here's the powerful, powerful thing you have to know. There's a theological key that unlocks this story. But here's essentially what the son was saying. And it's what many of us say. The son was essentially saying, I want my independence from you. That's what he's saying when he says, I wish you were dead. He'd be independent of the father if the father was dead. But here's the kicker. He was saying, I want your stuff, but not you. To which maybe some of us going, I kind of know what that's like. That's my life right now. I, I want the gifts of God, but I, want, I don't want God. He was saying, I, I, I like the stuff that you give me, the inheritance, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. Matter of fact, what he's saying is, my relationship with you has been a means to an end. I'm in this relationship with you as a means to an end. You're not the end. My relationship with you is not the ultimate goal. There's something in it that I want. And it's your stuff. Do you know what Jesus was doing? And you need to understand this to understand the rest of the parable. A theological key he's unlocking. I'll put it up on the screen. Jesus was radically redefining. Matt, can you put that up there? Jesus was radically redefining sin. And not just sins. Everybody look up here, please. 
You need to understand this. When we think of sin, what we think of as sins, breaking God's laws, breaking God's rules, doing wrong things. But you know what this parable shows us? This parable shows us a son who's doing everything right. He is obeying the father perfectly, as well as the son who's disobeying. And Jesus has the audacity to say, both are in sin, both are lost, both are alienated from the father. The essence of sin is not, I'm doing wrong things. The essence of sin is not breaking rules. The essence of sin is break in a relationship. The essence of sin is saying to the Father, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm going to be my own Lord. I'm going to be my own master. I'm going to dictate how my life goes. What you and I think of as sins, doing wrong things, bad things, is the inevitable result of this starting point, which is the essence of sin. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to be my own man, my own woman. I run my life. I run this ship. Nobody tells me what to do. Essence of sin is living independent of God, the Father. Essence of sin is saying, I want the gifts of God, but not you. Essence of sin is saying, I know how my life ought to go better than you, so uh, I'm going to take charge. The essence of sin is saying to God, I want your gifts, but I don't want you. That's why we have a law keeper and a law breaker in this parable. And God says, both are alienated from me. I said this last week, and I got an email from somebody who was honest and admitting it. She's like, I was so offended when you said that the older brother who did everything right was lost and alienated. How could that be? I'm in church every Sunday. I keep my nose out of trouble. I read the Bible. I pray. I don't sleep around. I used to, but I don't anymore. I'm trying to be a good Christian. How are you telling me that I'm lost? How are you telling me that I'm alienated? The essence of sin is not breaking laws. The essence of sin is a break in relationship. Story goes on. Verse 12. So he, that is a father, divided his property between them. (laughs) To which we go, da-da-da-da. The the word property, I said this last week briefly, in Greek is the word bios, from which we get the English word biology. Literally what the author is saying is that the father, listen, divided his life. He divided his life between them. Why? How many of you guys come from a family line of farmers? Anybody? We got some farmers? All right, got some farmers in this room. Little, little thing that you guys might not, I grew up on a farm. Do y'all know that? Yeah, in Korea, I grew up on a farm. My grandfather actually was a wheat rice farmer, so I actually grew up on a farm. And here's the thing you have to understand about agricultural society, is that the land is not just their livelihood. The land is what? The land is their life. It's their identity. People identify with their land. How much land you had dictated how much status you had in that community. How much land you had or how much you you gave away affected your standing in the community. The land wasn't just their life. It was their uh, livelihood. The land was their life. And so essentially what the son is asking this father to do is tear your life apart from me. And the Bible amazingly says, and the father tore his life apart for the son. The father is enduring the worst thing that a human being can endure. Rejected love. 
rejected love. How do we normally respond when somebody rejects us? Um, Thank God for country music, right? For those y'all that like country music, I don't mean to offend, but come on now, okay? I, 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 where would country music be without rejected love? Well, let's check. So I, I looked on the, you know, the internet, and, and, and I actually found a website that talked about the top 75 anti-love country songs, okay? So you got all those country songs, I love you, honey, blah, blah, blah. These are songs that say, no, rejected love, and this is how I feel today, and I'll just read you some titles of some of these, okay? Uh, number 11 is, Does My Ring Burn Your Finger? <laughs> number 13 on this list is, Drinking Me Lonely. <laughs> and then 14 is, Drunker Than Me, okay? Number 15 by Garth Brooks, Friends in Low Places. Yep, is it a good song? Martha, how would you know? Do you listen to country music? Garth Brooks got, okay, okay, okay. Number 24, I love this title. This is actually, here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. <laughs> I love it. Number 20, these are actual songs. If you want, that's by Travis Tritt. So if y'all want to download that at iTunes, Travis Tritt. Okay, here's a quarter. Call somebody who cares, okay. Number 27, how do you like me now? Okay, by Toby Keith. Number 33 is Kiss This. Okay. Number, four, number 41, Never Again, Again. Number 46, Revenge of a Middle-Aged Woman. Number 49, She's Acting Single, I'm Drinking Doubles. Okay. Uh, because of time. I wish I could read all these. Number 61 is, what part of no do you understand? Okay. Or don't you understand? Number 68 is just simply, why, why, why? (laughs) I I don't mean to make light, but the reason why we laugh, the reason why parts of us could relate is because we know human nature's reaction to reject the love. We get angry, we get bitter, we actually try and think and do all kinds of things so that our love for them, our affection for them will diminish, including sometimes gossip, slander. Think about this father. He has all the right to beat his son, to drive his son out without a penny. And he is enduring. Listen, do you know why this struck out to me? Because as I thought about this father in this parable and God the father. I'm just imagining that day when God creates humanity and God is about to give them the ultimate gift and the angels look at God and go, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you sure you want to go there? God, you sure you want to give them the ultimate gift, the gift of freedom to love you or the freedom to reject you? Even though you know that the freedom of rejecting you will lead to enormous pain, enormous heartache for themselves and for people around them. And for you, it will mean as God the Father, enduring rejected love from your own prized creation. And this parable says, that's exactly what the Father does. 
That's exactly what the Father does. Story goes on. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, uh, just a handful of phrases here that we need to pay attention to. First of all, the, the, the phrase got together all that he had is a Greek verb that actually is a financial term. You know, when I was little, I used to envision this parable and goes, how in the world did the younger son, like, take the inheritance? You know, what did he do? Have the couch, you know, the desk, the whatever. No, literally what he did was the inheritance was divided and he sold. He liquidated his portion of the estate. And the parable says that he did that not long after, not many days after. Why? It's one thing to say to your own father, I don't want you. It's another thing for your community to find out. And remember what this community was like back then. Six acres, an entire village. Why is he in a hurry to get out of town? Soon the word gets out to this village, tight-knit community, that the son has done the ultimate insult to his father. He has said to him, I wish you were dead. And he's going around selling his inheritance to anybody who will buy. And there's somebody in the village who will buy the property, but community tension is rising. Here's another thing you got to know about this text. In the Talmud, the early Jewish rabbinic writings and customs, there was a ceremony that the rabbis enacted. It was called the Kasaza ceremony. Can you put that up there? The Kasaza ceremony. Let me tell you what the Kasaza ceremony was, okay? One of the worst things that a Jewish boy could do was sell his inheritance or lose inheritance to the Gentiles, who the Jews considered as sort of untouchables. So in order to keep their sons from selling the property and wasting it to the Gentiles, the rabbis came up with something called the Kasaza ceremony. Here's what that was. When a Jewish young man, Jewish boy or son, lost inheritance to the Gentiles and he had any, he dared to come back to the village? Here's what the ceremony was. The entire village would gather. And in an earthenware pot, they burned nuts and burned coals. And as this disgraced son was coming back into the village, the villagers would take the corn and the nuts, break it in front of the son. And as he was coming in and saying, so-and-so is cut off from his people. So-and-so is cut off from his people. So-and-so is cut off from his people. And the village would have nothing to do with the son. The Kasaza ceremony. So as his son leaves, he's in a hurry to get out, not only because the tension is rising, but he knows if he goes to the Gentile land and loses his property, if he dares to come back, what's awaiting him? The Kasaza ceremony from the whole village. What happens to him? He loses his inheritance to the Gentiles. Why is that significant? Listen, listen. I mean, you guys didn't miss that, right? Me going like that, okay? This is important. Pay attention, okay? That's what this means. For those of you that are new, okay? If I do it three times, I mean, it's very, very, very important, okay? So this once. Because the reason why this is important is because it will literally reinterpret the rest of the story because what we will... Let's just look at the rest of the story, Okay? Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, and and literally it means a great famine, meaning at least a year's worth of crops, or perhaps two to three years' worth of crops have gone. 
in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed, uh, to this field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. We see the younger son falling to depths that was unimaginable for a young Jewish man. He is working for a Gentile, feeding pigs. He literally hits rock bottom, and as we'll see in the rest of the text, he starts longing for a home. Even servants in my house, father's household have stuff to eat, and I'm here starving. In the distant country, away from home, the son begins longing for home. I get this next insight from a guy named Henry Nouwen who wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal. You have to read that book. It was his interpretation of a Rembrandt painting of the return of the prodigal son. And do you know what he says? What's a home? Home is not a house. Some of you all know what I'm talking about because you live with roommates and it's not home, is it? By the way, don't, don't, don't be too obvious if your roommate is sitting next to you this morning. Okay? What is a home? Home is not a place. We know even in our language. We say stuff like, I went to so-and-so and I felt at home. What is home? Home is a place where you know you're accepted. Home is that place where you know you belong. Home is that place where you know you're loved. A famous child psychologist said this, children who live without a home live with their entire lives without a fundamental ability of attachment. Children who live without a home, parents, are you paying attention? Children who live without a home live their entire lives without the ability to be trusting somebody, to get into deep relationships. Why? What is a home for a child? Home for a child is that place where they know they're loved, they're accepted. Mommy and daddy love them unconditionally. It is that one place that child feels safe. And when a child grows up without a home, not a house, not just with parents, a home. That child grows up for the rest of his or her life unable to trust, unable to, to be in deep relationships for fear of her insecurity. What is this young son doing? He is leaving the unconditional love and acceptance of the father. And he's saying, I want a home. I want to find that place where I know I am somebody, where I can be accepted, belong. That's some of you here this morning. And here's the insight from Henry Nowen. He says, home is the center of my being where I can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Jesus made it clear that the same voice that he heard in the Jordan River is the same voice that can be heard by me. He makes it clear that there's a home with the Father. But if I decide to keep control, if I go out into the world, I will keep running around asking, do you love me? Do you really love me? And I give all the power to the voice of the world. It's the voices of the world that defines me then. The world's love is full of ifs. If, yes, if, uh, I love you if you're good looking, if you're intelligent, if you're educated, if you're well off, if you're productive. Endless is, and it's not too hard to know I have left home spiritually. I'm resentful. I'm jealous. I desire revenge. I struggle with lust. Greed, ambition, and rivalry are all obvious signs that I've left home. 
but I'm letting the world define me with its flaw full of ifs. But when I know that I'm home with the Father, when I know that I am the beloved, I can confront, console, admonish without any fear of rejection or need for affirmation. I can suffer persecution without fear of resentment, receive praise without using it for proof of my goodness. Hang there just a little bit longer. I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Why do I keep leaving home where I am called the child of God, the beloved of the Father? I am constantly surprised at how I keep taking the gifts God has given me, my health, my intellectual and emotional gifts, and keep using them to impress people, to receive affirmation and praise, and compete for rewards instead of developing them for the glory of God. Yes, I often carry them off to a distant country and put them in the service of an exploiting world that does not know their true value. It's almost as if I want to prove to myself and to my world that I do not need God's love, that I can make a life on my own, and that I want to be fully independent. Beneath all of that is the great rebellion, the radical no to the Father's love and the unspoken voice. I wish you were dead. Some of you are lost because you're desperately searching for home. That's why you're in that relationship that is destroying you. That's why you're working 80 hours a week. For who? For who? Honestly, for who? That's why you're crushed when you get, God forbid, a B plus. <gasps> Why? Your home is, I'm intellectual, I'm smart. And when you're not, you've left home. Where are you? Where are you today? Can I just talk to some of you? I love, I love the mission of Jesus. You're out in the distant country. You're not home. That's why the older brother is lost. He is in a house next to the father, and yet he doesn't know the father. Where is your home? Where is your home? See, it, a fundamental principle in scripture that you and I have to realize is that if you and I take control of our lives, you're going to give, you're going to give control to something else. If you think, I want freedom, I want to be free, I want to be able to do whatever I want to, God doesn't tell me what to do, pastor don't tell me what to do, nobody tells me what to do, I want to be free, be my own man or woman. The Bible says there's no such thing as freedom. You will worship something. You will serve something. In your attempt to take control of your life, you're going to give control of your life to something or someone. Your heart will adore something. Your soul will worship something. You will adore something. You will depend on something. You will look at something. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're going, I don't even get all this God stuff, worship stuff. There's one thing about you that I know to be true, even if I don't even know you. To which you're going, you don't know me. I don't know you, but I know this about you. I know that there's something in your life that is the most important thing. 
I know there's something in your life you're saying, I've got to have that. That's why you're anxious today. That's why you're worried today. That's why you're bitter today. That's why you're angry today. Older brothers, preview for next week. Here's how you know you've left home. Even though you're a good Christian, kept your nose out of clean, you're sexually pure, you're obeying all the commands and so on and so forth. You are looking at your life and saying, my life sucks. Where's the justice in that? Where's the justice in that? My home is my career. And poof, my home, God, was that relationship. Poof, my home was my physical attraction. Poof. You've left home. You've left home. And where are you today? Where are you today? The essence of sin, and I say this in a million ways, is not doing bad things. The essence of being in this country, distant country is not, look, when we think distant country, we think, especially those of us who grew up in church, pigsty, prostitutes, lost. That's <laughs> not distant country. Distant country isn't doing bad things. Distant country is taking good things and making them ultimate things, which the Bible says is idolatry. It says you're lost. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those of you that are saying, I'm not even a Christian. I don't even believe in sin. Breaking God's law, who cares? The Bible says the cross of Jesus Christ is not just your only hope for forgiveness for the bad things you've done. The cross of Jesus Christ is your only hope for freedom. 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 For endless voices of the world that says, if you do it, I will love you. If you do it, I will love you. If you do it, I love you. The answer to freedom is found in the cross where Jesus Christ says, I died for you not because you were worthy, but because I am. I died for you not because you are beautiful, because I'm beautiful. I died for you not because you deserved it, but because of my unconditional love for you. And if that doesn't resonate in your heart, Beyond just the Sunday school, yada yada, Jesus Christ died for you. You're lost and away from home. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Everybody look up here three times. That's very important. Ready? You know, it's kind of like in the Bible where it says holy, holy, holy. That means, wow, that's really trifold, trifold, trifold. Is that right? Threefold? Trifold. Okay, trifold. Anyway, three clap. That means it's very important. Listen, okay, guys. So anyway, here's 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 the most important, like sort of revision. Now, for those of you that are going, you know, I don't like the way you're messing around with an old familiar story. Well, this is really going to get you. Listen, because you normally think verse 17 when he came to his senses, and most of us think that's it. He came to his senses. 
And we go, we all need to come to our senses. Are you lost at this thing? I'm sorry. I don't want to be like mocking, but you know, I, I'm mocking myself because this is what I, you need to come to your senses. The son didn't come to his senses in, the, in, in, in an aspect of he repented of his sins and he realizes who his father is and he's going to come back. Why? Listen to his very own words. What do I mean? The son needs money. <laughs> Why does he need money? What's waiting for him when he goes back home? The kasaza, the kasaza ceremony, where the whole village is going to be like burning coals and nothing going. You're cut off from your community. You're cut off from this village. You're cut off from this village. Ah! And the only way, the only way he would even have a chance is to make restitution, pay back what he lost. And he tries. First, he gets hired as a pig herder. Now, you know that verse where it says, but no one gave him anything? And we think, well, no one gave him anything isn't like what to eat, you know? So pastors are famous going, are you tired of eating with the pigs? It's, it's not, that's, not, that's not what this is about. When it says and no one gave him anything, it's literally meaning he wasn't paid anything. So he goes, okay, so if I'm going to go back, I got to come up with plan B. Now, this little guy is pretty smart. So he goes, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father, and here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, Father, will you make me like one of your slaves? Look at the text. He says what? Make me like one of your what? Hired men. What's a hired man? He's not a servant or a slave who lives on the household. A hired man was somebody who was trained in a craft, lived outside of the father's house in the village, and made a wage, made an earning. What is the young son saying? The young son is saying, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I know that I can't come back to you as a son because I've blown it. But I know what I'm going to do. Will you apprentice me to one of your craftsmen so that I can work really hard? I'm going to save up and I have enough money to pay you back for all the wrong stuff I've done. I can come back and maybe, maybe, family you know how you know he didn't come to his senses because he has no clue as to the father's heart he is functioning from a radical perspective of religion which says I earn I do I perform I that's why the father accepts me his attitude is simple grace unnecessary Forgiving unconditional love, don't have a clue as to about it. I'm going to earn my way back into the father's house. Earn my way into being his son once again, maybe. He didn't come to his senses. He's hungry. He needs to go home. And what does the father do? Ah! Oh, before we do that, before we do that. Jesus radically redefines. Put it up there, Matt. He radically redefines repentance. What do I mean? There are some of you here today, your repentance is so religious, man, woman. Your repentance is, I got to pay back. I got to earn. I got to, it's amazing. Some of you guys actually like inflicting pain on yourself emotionally because you think by doing that, God will somehow go, okay, I guess I'll accept you. 
It's like God's up there going, do you really feel bad? I do. Do you really feel bad? I do. Do you? Repentance, religious is, I earn, I work, because it's about how bad I feel. It's about how terrible a person I am. It's how worthless I am, God. And that's how you accept me. That's repentance in religion. The gospel says repentance is accepting the costly gift of being found by your father. Michael, do you get that? Listen to this parable in Luke 15. The sheep can't do anything in and of itself to be found. Maybe go, eh, something like that. Where the shepherd goes, oh, I hear it. And some of you, please don't make the connection like, so I need to like cry out and yell really loud. No, it must be rescued. The lost coin can't do anything in and of itself to be found. It must be rescued. The son can't do anything in and of himself to be found. He must be Rescued. 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 There's nothing, not a single thing that he can do. He must be rescued by his father. Do you know why this is so hard? Two reasons. For some of us, it's because it's humbling to come to God and go, God, I need you. Besides the fact that it's so foreign because grace, what's grace? I have no idea what unmerited favor is because my entire life I've had to earn for everything, including my parents' affection. Peter, I have no idea about this father's unconditional. Some of us, though, it's coming to realization that the good news of the gospel, listen, let me put it as carefully as possible. The good news of the gospel is that all you need is need. And all you need is nothing. It's coming to God and saying, God, I lay my good works, my effort, my attempt, my feeling really bad, because you say they're like filthy rags anyway. There's absolutely nothing that I can do, nothing that I can do, nothing that I can do to be found. I have to be rescued. And to be acknowledging our need of that desperation for some of us, uh, for the rest of us, this is like next week, kind of this week. The other reason why we struggle so much with grace and grace and grace, only by grace, only by grace, is because I've said many times, maybe today we'll register, if you and I are truly saved by grace and grace alone, then there is nothing that God cannot ask of you. If you and I are saved by grace and grace alone, by the unlimited love of the, 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 the heavenly father, if there, is, if there is that kind of grace that's extended to us where we do, don't do anything, that means that a relationship with a God like that is all-consuming, all-consuming, total commitment. And there is nothing that that God cannot come to us and say, I want that. And we don't like that. We don't like that. We avoid Jesus by avoiding sin. Let me say that again. 
We avoid Jesus, not by sinning, younger brother. We avoid Jesus by avoiding sin. Why? Because we're saying, I'm avoiding sin. I'm living a good life. I'm religious. So therefore, you do not have right over that area in my life. But if you realize you're saved by grace and grace and grace alone, the Savior who died on this cross, then he can come to you and say, there's not a single thing in your life that I can't demand. I demand your all. And we don't like that. So to ward him off, we perform. We earn. We do. I know I'm the only one in here like that. So I'm just preaching to myself here this morning. <laughs> Where you get the power and strength to do that? Oh, oh, look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And by the way, if the father saw him, who else is seeing him? The whole vi- say it again, the whole village. The whole village is seeing him. So what did he do? and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him let me picture for y'all what's going on remember six acres the the, the roads to the to the village are like this wide they're not like super they're this wide they're crowded the father is in his house in a crowded village and he's looking down because he knows that his son who's left home to find a home in rebellion and pride and arrogance is at some point going to return he spots his son at the edge of the village and what does the father do so don't picture in your mind wide open grassy field where nobody's around and the father is just going down and son and the son's like oh my gosh there's my father no it's crowded the son is at the edge of the village the father sees him and he's saying to himself I gotta get to him first why? if I don't get to him first Kasaza ceremony cutting off from his people wrath of the community so the father gets out of his house and check this out y'all okay how many of you guys grew up in Asian families imagine your dad wearing a bathrobe Similarly, you know what I'm saying? A long robe. That's the point. Tucking his robe up so he could run. Bearing his legs, which was unheard of. It was humiliating for a Middle Eastern father. Unheard of. For a a noble, a noble landowner. Unheard of. He bears his legs and he's running down this crowded path and Imagine, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way. What's going on? What's going on? The noise is rising, get out of my way. And before the community sees him, the father is on top of his son. He's on top of his son. And you can imagine the son's going, I gotta get the speech out, you know, I gotta get the PowerPoint, the compensation plan out. Hold on a minute. And he's going, How am I gonna say this? But it's a little easier to say something, isn't it, when your father has jumped on you, he has kissed you, he's standing this close to your face with a smile from ear to ear and saying, Welcome back. Do you see the picture? And that sight will be so extraordinary that the village people will look at that and go, Somebody might go, but what about the kasaza? You know, the kasaza, the kasaza ceremony. (laughs) The heck with the kasaza ceremony. Why? Look at it. The father has reconciled the son to himself. He has forgiven him. He has embraced him. And we will too. And we will too. (laughs) There are times throughout the New Testament where Jesus redefined God. And in this story, can I just, I got to sit for this. 
In this story, Jesus radically redefines God as Father. Jesus called God Father more than anyone else in the Bible. He called God Father except once, except once, and that was when he was on the cross saying, why have you forsaken me? And what Jesus was saying to his disciples was this, I not only am going to teach you how to pray, our Father, I want you to picture this when you pray. I got to be honest with you guys. Grace, where are you? Can you come on up and get ready? Do you know why this story speaks so powerfully? Maybe for some of you guys it won't because for an Asian man, Asians, Asians in here, many of us struggle. Maybe not just Asians, many of us struggle with the image of God as Father. Many of us had fathers who were authoritative and demanding but never even had a conversation with us for crying out loud. Maybe it was the fathers for whom we were just like, you know what? I'm doing all of this to please you. Do you even notice? Do you even notice? Many of us know what it's like to fear our father, but don't know what it's like to love him. And Jesus was saying, I am giving you a father like you've never had before. I want you to picture a father of emotional abandonment. Not the father that you know that has never even uttered the words, I love you or hugged you or kissed you. I want you to imagine the heavenly father that is on top of you, that is kissing you, that is slobbering all over you, that is saying, I want you to envision a heavenly father who's willing to demonstrate costly love and endure the worst thing that a human being can endure, which is rejected love. Somebody saying, I know you may love me, but I don't want you. And he said, I want you to envision Heavenly Father who doesn't care about what their friends will think, what their other friends will think. But in broad view of the whole public, willing to humiliate himself to cover his son. And you know what the most, for me, the profound part of this is, and it just reveals the gospel so powerfully, when is the kiss? When does the kiss happen? Is it before or after the speech? Is the kiss after the son has said, Father, here's what I'm going to do. Is it? No! Before he's even uttered a word, the father kisses his son. His repentance is not a result of the father's kiss. He is able to repent because the father looks at him and says, you're accepted, you're embraced, but what about my repentance? I'm going to kiss you first. 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 The father's response of love for his son is not a result of the son saying look at all that I do the son says I simply accept the kiss and the embrace I was uh, at the gym this week and I ran into a guy who comes to our church he hasn't been here in a while I haven't seen him in a while, and, you know, he, uh, it was kind of awkward, you know, because we're like, kind of like in the shower, you know, in the bathroom. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I was fully clothed. Um, 
So we're just sitting there, and it was a little awkward. And then, of course, like two minutes into it, he delves into the whole, hell, my relationship, God, just sucks. I'm going, <laughs> imagine. And then for the next five minutes, he says what I hear so often from so many of you, which tells me that for the rest of my living life, I will continue to preach the gospel. Because he says this, he says, when I feel all good and ready, Pastor Peter, that's when I'm going to come back. See, I have a drinking problem right now, and you know, I'm trying really hard to get it under control. So when I go into rehab and get whatever, that's, that's, that's when I'm going to come back. When I get my act together, that's when I'm going to come back. And I'm telling you, it took everything within my power, not just to break down and cry, because I wanted to choke him in a good way and saying, do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? He doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up. Do you understand that? He doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up. He says, you come to me and then you get clean. And yet our entire life, we constantly go around saying, God, I need to be clean. God, I need to get my act right. I need to do these things. And your heavenly father is running down before you could utter a word and saying, I'm going to just kiss you and to embrace you. Not just when you become a Christian, but for the rest of your life. Because that's what grace is. That's what grace is. He doesn't kiss the sun because it's beautiful. Have you ever seen somebody come back from a famine? The sun is ugly and yet the father kisses him. This is the ultimate picture of beauty. Kisses the beast. And if that doesn't resonate in your heart as a Christian, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say this. You are living a religious life as a Pharisee. And unless your heart and my heart is melted by the truth of the gospel of a God who pursues us to the ends of the earth, we will never see change and transformation. If you're not a Christian here today, The great news of the gospel is that you can't seek him unless he seeks you first. And if you are seeking him right now, you are sitting there right now going, I need God in my life. I'm tired of being my own God and savior. I'm tired of running my life the way I want. Look where it's gotten me. I need God. The only reason why that is resonating in your heart is because God has been seeking you from beginning of all eternity. The only reason why you even want God today is because God has wanted you before you were even born. How's that for the gospel? And if you're a Christian here today and you walked in here after weeks and months of sinning and, and you're going, I barely dragged myself in here today, man. I don't know if you need to know that God the Father says, my love for you is not a function of your perfection. It's a function of my perfection. My love for you is not a function of your loveliness. My love for you is a function of my loveliness. Do you see? Do you see? Bow your heads with me. (laughs) 
Here's what I'm going to invite us to do here this morning. I was thinking about giving a challenge and a call for people to accept Christ for the very first time, but I need you to come back for the next two more Sundays before I do this. You need to sit there and just like be like completely like frustrated right now, and that's okay. Because if God is seeking you, he's going to speak to you throughout this week. What I've asked the worship team to do is to lead us with songs that would genuinely be a response, a true response. And what I'm going to invite you to do, church, maybe it's been a while since we've done this, is if the song resonates with you, if this is a prayer of your heart, get the heck out of your seats, run to the cross, run to the cross, fall down and worship this Jesus who is your Savior, who is your lover, the lover of your soul. If the prayer of your heart is, God, change me from this deadness. God, work in my heart because I don't want to feel this anymore. Run to the front of the cross. Cry out to your Savior and say, God, you can only do this work. I need you. If your heart is overwhelmed with gratitude and praise, get up on your feet. Put your hands up to the heavens and worship this Savior who has poured out his amazing grace to you. Respond to your God. Do you want these words to be true and to be real? Do you want these words to be true and to be real? God, we praise you, we worship you. And for me, and for some of us in here who are revisiting this story and the simplicity of the Christian life, that you call us to love you with all of our hearts, our soul, mind, and strength, and to love those around us. Bring us back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God and the love of your Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you, child of God. May you be overwhelmed at the knowledge of his unconditional grace and love for you. May that be the strength from which you draw each second, each moment, each day of your life that you may live bold, courageous lives, secure and confident that God, the creator, loves you, is gracious towards you, and his favor rests upon you. In the name of the Father, the Son. And the Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Church, see you back here at 9 o'clock next Sunday. And the rest of you that like to sleep in, 11 o'clock. Invite your friends as we continue this journey. We'll see you next week.